Hi, welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who really love vaccines. My name is Karen Ernst, and I'm the executive producer of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician at Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. And today we have a great show for you. We're talking to one mother who is a former uh, refuser of vaccines. And then we're going to talk to another woman who has family members who don't vaccinate um, their children. And we're just going to have a discussion about how those decisions are made and how those decisions are unmade, which I think will be fascinating. Before we start and before we start our other stuff, I just want to um, make a little programming note. Our next podcast in November is going to be a live show. Yes, we're going on tour. We are going on tour. (laughs) Thank you to the good folks at the National Foundation of Infectious Diseases. We're going to their vaccinology uh, conference course, and we are going to do a live show for those people there. So if you're going to the vaccinology course, like you know, woot, woot, um, watch out for us. You should and go to it. It's I was at the same course when it was in Chicago. This was a number of years ago. And if you are interested in vaccines, regardless of what level of involvement you are in terms of healthcare or science, it's still really interesting. There, there, when I was there, there was I got to meet Seth Mnookin, who talked about his experience learning about um, vaccines and the anti-vaccine movement and writing his book, The Panic Virus. Um, the, the, the actual lectures and the schedule, it, it does kind of run the gamut from some technical stuff, but contains a lot of stuff that I think is very accessible, at least it has in the past. So I think you can take a look online at the agenda and see what's on there. But if you're in the area, you know, First of all, come and see us because yes. we're worth seeing. We're the big draw. Um, uh, yes, right? And uh, But also because I think you'd have a great time and you'd learn a lot. Yes, I, I know one of the other things on the agenda is uh, Dr. Paul Offit is doing a screening of a film he was a part of uh, called... It's about uh, Maurice Hillman. I forget the name of it. I'm sorry. It was just on the tip of my tongue and it left. But that's worth seeing too. So go to the Nas- National Infectious... National Foundation of Infectious Diseases website, which I think is nfid.org, and sign up and don't delay because I think um, signups end very soon. Well, Nathan, around the web, you yeah. have a cool around the web this week. Sure, I'm actually going to mention two things because there's one thing that is somewhat topical, unless I'm stealing this from you, but I doubt it because this will take me very. This will be just brief because it was just last week. But if anybody has watched or watches the show Designated Survivor, uh, which is the Kiefer Sutherland vehicle that is about, I think he was the Secretary of Housing, and then there is, a, uh, uh, I believe, some kind of terrorist attack. I've only seen a couple of the episodes, and I forget all the plot points. And because of the order of... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The order of like seniority succession. to be yes, order of succession. He becomes president of the United States. Anyway, I had just seen previews about um the, the episode last week, which involves a strain of influenza A that is apparently going around the country and causing devastation. So I haven't seen the episode yet, but I'm going to catch it when it's, it's probably going to be streaming for free here pretty soon. So I, I always am interested in watching episodes like that, seeing how they turn 
out in terms of do they get the accuracy right? Is there going to be, you know, how much medical accuracy is there? How much um, just the use of artistic license is there? How does it portray vaccines? How does it portray diseases, etc.? So if you want to check that out and get back to us on Facebook about what you thought about the episode, please do that. I was like, you know, there, there's, there's episodes of, of shows every once in a while that have to do with vaccines that are kind of interesting. There's been one in LA on LA law, of course, medical shows frequently, uh, have it. So, uh, those are always fun to kind of critique. Absolutely. You want to go ahead and do number two while you're at it? Yeah, 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 sure. So the other one, um, you may have heard me mention on this podcast a little uh, rap parody that I did involving the flu vaccine and involving uh, Hamilton, a parody of the um, Not Throwing Away My Shot song. So I uh, have, we did that last year, uh, myself and some other um, friends, pediatricians on Twitter, we kind of did segments of it and it was really fun to do. Uh, I bring it up because this year at the national AAP meeting, uh, the, which was in Chicago, uh, where I get to meet a lot of these people who, some of whom i had never met before, the keynote speaker at, at the, at the event was, uh, Dr. Luce Towns Miranda, who is Lin-Manuel Miranda's mother, and also is a clinical psychologist who has some expertise in, uh, childhood attachment, infant attachment. Um, so, and that's not attachment parenting. Don't, don't get me mixed up there. So we're not talking about like baby wearing and all that stuff that's worth discussing, but this is more about connecting with your baby early, having those shared experiences, reading to your baby, singing to your baby, all those things that help establish, uh, um, good attachment early on. <coughs> Excuse me. And so that was just exciting in and of itself to hear her talk. And it was great. Um, some of my friends, particularly Dr. Nasheen Aminadeen, <coughs> had got the opportunity to meet her uh, and then got to talk a little bit about, and she was involved in my uh, flu shot, uh, par- in this flu shot parody as well. So she got to talk about to, to uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's mother about this flu shot parody, this Hamilton parody <laughs> that we did. So... Then, as uh, circumstances would happen, Dr. Towns Miranda did tweet then uh, the, the a link to the video and literally said, shoot, I should have pulled it up, but something to the order of a must-see uh, for getting your flu shot. So just the fact that this video uh, got a, a glowing review from uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's mother, is that just made our day. And That's so awesome. anyway, if you want to see the video, you can go to my Facebook page and it should be pinned to the top. <laughs> Forever. Um, so, I mean, you know that means that Lin-Manuel Miranda almost definitely saw your parody. Yep, and and no no word from him, and that's okay. I understand. That's okay, the, but I just want you the, to geek out yep, on that. That that's 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 worth thinking about. So yes. I can imagine the response to it. I'm hopeful. Yeah, it was all applause and ovations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I actually have two around the webs too. I thought I was okay. going to be the only one breaking. Oh rules. no no no, good. My first one's very short. I saw it last night, and it was um, Will Wheaton Instagrammed out that he oh, got his flu right. shot. Mm-hmm. Um. I, and I posted it on the Voices for Vaccines Facebook page, and people were immediately like, "That's not where you get flu shots." And you know, so it was sort of this double nerd moment where you had, you know, Will Wheaton, who's every you know every nerd's favorite guy, 
And then the nerd moment of, hey, that's not how you give a flu shot, and everyone talking about that. And I just, I love vaccine nerds. <laughs> it was, it was great. It's pretty great. So was it too low on the arm? Is that what it was too low saying? on yeah. the arm? Yeah, because yeah. he was, he's, it's um, it's a picture. His tattoo is a, a lady, and yeah. he was giving it to her in in her tushy. So. <laughs> There you go. All kinds of discussions to have about that particular. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, photo. I mean, we could we could have an entire episode on it, but instead, I'm going to move on. Yeah, good idea. Um, my second one is not as pleasant. So, I, and I, but I've been thinking about it a lot. Del Big Tree. Oh boy. Is one of the people. Yeah, is one of the people who made the Vaxxed movie with Andrew Wakefield. Yes. And he is a former TV producer on the Doctor's TV show. Um, he calls himself a medical journalist, but um, <laughs> that's that's fine. That's that's what he calls himself. So he tweets on Friday. Can we can we call ourselves medical journalists? I'm going to call myself a medical awesomeologist. Okay. Because That's great. Because people are just making up words these days, so yeah. that's what I'm saying. We're gonna, we're gonna. That's why we're gonna introduce ourselves at the. That's how we'll do our outro. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna be able to pronounce that, but yeah, there we go. And uh, my name is. Yeah, that's okay. Thank you for that. Um, so Delvi Tree tweets on Friday. Tens of thousands of hypochondriacs rushing to a hospital because their baby has diarrhea does not support risking death from a vaccine. Yeah, I saw that. there's so many really interesting like that gives that tweet gives such an insight into the mind of an anti-vaxxer and here we can really use the term anti-vaxxer because this is not just somebody hesitant about vaccines this is somebody who spends i don't know all their time talking about how bad vaccines are he does his kind of conspiracy radio show that is about that he genuinely profits from doing this sure absolutely and the you know the first thing that comes to my mind is why do you call all these parents so so you know rotavirus used to cause in the united states used to cause somewhere around i want to say 20 to 40 deaths a year which are tragic, but not as large a number as some vaccine-preventable diseases, but would cause thousands and into the 10,000 range of hospitalizations a year or more. I can't remember right off the top of my head the number of tens of thousands. Um, To call them all hypochondriacs, those parents, because those parents can't, you know, apparently can't tell that they're how sick their baby really is, and really they should just be staying home. But they're so hypochondriac that they go and they demand their child be admitted to the hospital or whatever. But then also to say that all the parents who believe that their child developed autism from vaccines because they watched it those parents know exactly that that's exactly what happened that it was from the vaccines and they should be trusted but a parent can't be trusted to tell that their child is dehydrated and needing to be in the hospital that just brings into sharp focus how much of a dissonance there is there uh it's it's mm. yeah so i took this one a little bit personally i have to say because my son i I have a a teenage son now and he was 10 months old when there was when when we were between the two vaccines and he got rotavirus and it, it he didn't we didn't go to the hospital we did go to the doctor's office um it's not hard to diagnose rotavirus um 
And uh, he was, you know, it, it was a, tw- it's a 24 hour diarrhea illness. It's your, your kid is really sick. Um, it's taxing on everyone. It lasts more than just a couple of days. I think it was, I think he was sick for about 10 full days. Uh, and, and, and it's, I mean, your, your child is really sick and when it's a baby, it's really scary. And I just, we didn't go to the hospital. In fact, I call, I probably called every single day he was sick, the doctors and said, okay, now this is how many, you know, dirty diapers he's had. How are we doing? We don't have to go to the hospital. That's, that's the one thing I wanted to avoid doing was going to the hospital because going to the hospital with your child is a bad deal. Um, so, you know, they assured me that he didn't need to go to the hospital. So he was an uncomplicated case, as as uncomplicated as you could get. And still, still, I broke down in tears when my y- younger son went in and they're like, oh, we have this rotavirus vaccine. And I was like, shut up. You can prevent that in a vaccine now. And I, I, I started <laughs> crying because it was just like not having to go through that again, not yeah. having to watch your kid be that sick. And it's not even an emergency sick. So the people who are bringing their children to the hospital, those are kids who are even sicker. Mm-hmm. And and you're, you, I don't think parents bring their children to the hospital for fun or because they're hypochondriacs. No. And they don't get admitted either. I mean, we work pretty hard as, you know, as a resident um and it, it was a and and when we would have kids come in for uh dehydration like we don't want to put kids in the hospital that don't need to be there we want to keep those kids home we want them to be able to do oral rehydration Mm -hmm. we want them to be able to get well enough to go home that's what we're trying to do in the emergency room and it's only those kids that we can't get to do that that get put into the hospital and get iv fluids or they might get iv fluids in the er and we try to tank them up and get them set so they can then drink if that doesn't work, they really do need to be in the hospital. And there's other complicated, I mean, one of the other things that rotavirus disease does is, is it can cause seizures. I mean, kids can get their electrolytes out of whack in such a way that they can seize. Um, and it can be very scary and dangerous. Absolutely. So that was, those are my around the webs. Um, you know, and I, I think that's, there, there isn't a good segue to talk about no. these wonderful and brave people we are going to be talking to today, but I want to talk a little bit about vaccine hesitancy. So, I, you know, there's a difference between someone like Del Bigtree who's literally making money, who says these awful things on the internet, who gets us all whipped up, and a parent who is genuinely afraid of vaccines. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that everybody probably knows someone, whether it's because they're a healthcare provider and they've met them in the clinic, or because you know, you've know you met that mom on the playground, or, or whatever. Everybody knows someone who doesn't want to vaccinate her children, or doesn't vaccinate her children at all or does but feels bad about it there's some level of vaccine hesitancy that we've all encountered and one of the most common questions i get is how do i change this person's mind and it's a hard question because (laughs) research is on it is not consistent i will say that i've i've i think i've read every single uh, study from top to bottom about how, t- you know, about trying to change people's minds sure. and, and they kind of lead in different directions. I just want to pull up one study that came out this sun- summer. This is from University of 
Edinburgh, and it's called Misinformation Lingers in Memory, Failure of Three Pro-Vaccine Strategies. And what these researchers did is they tried four different ways of uh, countering anti or countering vaccine misinformation and trying to change people's minds to see how much more likely they would be to vaccinate and so just quick going through they they divided people into four groups um one was given a leaflet that used scientific facts that that debunked vaccine myths one was given uh, charts and data that showed the various outcomes for vaccinated and unvaccinated people. One group was given pictures of unvaccinated children with measles, mumps, rubella, and descriptions of symptoms of each of these diseases. And also included with them was a brief warning about how important it is to vaccinate your child. And then the fourth group was a control group, and they were just shown unrelated material um, just to see, you know. And then they were asked before and after, how likely are you to vaccinate their ch your children? And there um, weren't changes. Sometimes they were actually less likely to vaccinate their children afterwards. And so people see studies like this in the news. People um, read about these studies. People actually read these studies and they immediately become despondent. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's that point over there. And then there's the point over where I am, which is that I have encountered multiple parents mm -hmm. who used to refuse to vaccinate their children or who were vaccine hesitant or even some who were full-on anti-vaccine the kind of evangelicals who went out into the world and tried to convince other people also not to vaccinate their children who changed their mind um so you know what are people to make of studies like this nathan <laughs> yeah um you know, I have always felt that it is a difficult thing to study, for one thing, because if in the trial you describe, everybody kind of knows that they're being tested, essentially, on whether or not they're going to change their mind about vaccinations, that may not be a productive thing to productive way to study it, um, <clears throat> because it seems to me like that would be kind of apparent as the test went on. I'm, I don't vaccinate, and now you're trying to get me to change my mind. Right. And so I don't know that we can necessarily go. I don't think we should feel despondent necessarily because the research doesn't show us what works. And certainly it's not going to show us what works when it comes to people that we know, our social networks, um, people that actually value our opinion. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's certainly is different to be handed a leaflet than it is to talk to your sister, or your spouse, or your cousin, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is, and I do, I think this is a theme we hit on on almost every episode. A lot of it is changing the culture. A lot of it is just you know you may not convince a person at that. You may not even convince that person at all, but you might you might soften their view over time. You might change how they essentially evangelize their view over time, whether or not they're willing to post, you know, something really bad about, you know, some bad misinformation because they know you're watching and they know that somebody's going to come with some Snopes if they do it or something like that. Um, you might change their mind over time and you might also just change the opinion of people who are now growing up 
and going to be making those decisions as they start having kids and whatnot when the culture has changed. So if the culture is, if the prevailing view continues to be vaccines are safe and effective to not immunize, you're really endangering your child, but you're also endangering others. That's, you know, that that's not that that's not something that people inherently want to be uh, associated with. So I think it's important to continue to uh, promote good information and to continue to make those connections with the people that we know and make it obvious and make it obvious that you know what you're talking about um, and, and post reliable links and whatnot. Um, I think all that stuff matters, but I think mm -hmm. it's kind of a marathon. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. It, it is a marathon. And, and you know, I think, I think we need to know where our, our fertile ground is too. Mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, looking at Del Bigtree, he's never going to be convinced. <laughs> uh, first of all, I doubt he listens to our podcast, but if he does, yeah. hi Del. Hi Del. Um, but Please he's stop. <laughs> you can you can go listen to you know serial now. Um, he he's never <laughs> going to be convinced that rotavirus is a, a serious illness. He can listen to stories about rotavirus all day long. It's not going to convince him. He's he's got a pretty huge stake in his evangelization, but. But we know parents who don't have a huge stake, that their stake is not monetary, it's largely personal, that, um, that they're doing it because they're part of a movement in a community that, you know, that it's normal to do that kind of thing. And I think changing the culture is really a good way of looking at at that. You know, I started off by telling you that Will Wheaton posted his flu shot picture. I think those flu shot pictures are huge. I think, you know, and, and of course we have our Why I Choose gallery and I'm kind of partial to it, but I think it's a huge big deal that people are willing to put photos of their children out into the world and say, my kids are vaccinated. Uh, and and that's really part of that that sea change, that talking about vaccines now in, in the positive light that didn't get done for so many years. But, you know, I, I hope that it's within that context that people see sort of that positive talk about vaccines that that softens them as well as being shown in information that might um, might help them change their mind. You know, there there is something too with the being presented with facts and charts and diseases and all these things. There's a little bit of digging in that people sometimes do when they're shown things that, hey, did you know? I I think vaccines cause autism. Well, here's like a hundred studies that show yeah. they don't. Yeah. Well, I still think that. I think that the government's hiding something. Well, here's why that conspiracy theory isn't possible. Well, I still think that. I think that you know, the, you can have a gene mutation that makes you more prone to it well here is where that gene <laughs> mutation doesn't matter well i still th you know there's yeah, always yeah. that and and people talk about how it feels like playing whack-a-mole but i i don't think that people are being obtuse in doing that i think that there's some amount of hanging on to something you truly believe in and oh, that's sure yeah and that facts just make you have to move to that different rationale you've given um you know that's true about so many areas we we focus mm -hmm. in on vaccines and for us it feels like uh we've been talking about this issue and recognizing this kind of psychology for a long time with regards to vaccines but now we're starting to see it a lot when it comes to things like fake news and stuff yeah. that's being promoted in other areas and politics and whatnot and you're really starting to see that psychology that's not just true about um 
vaccines it's true about people in general and hanging on to things that that you believe um and i think it should give us some level of understanding of saying you know i this person people who are hesitant or refusing i can understand you be you know to this point because i understand that this kind of decision making is difficult this kind of mind changing is difficult um i that's difficult in all areas and so this is not going to be a necessarily easy thing to change somebody's mind but it's worth making sure that we still are agents to promote good information Absolutely. You know, it's interesting, too, because this weekend, uh, one of my sons was watching Adam Ruins Everything. Yes. Ever, I yeah. was actually thinking about, there's a conspiracy episode recently, That's, I think, yep. right? Yep. I was actually thinking of that when I just said that. Yes. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's it's a great show. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but people should watch this conspiracy theory episode of yeah. Adam Ruins Everything. But he does talk about how our brains are prone to when there's something big and unexplained that we don't un- understand we have to have a big uh, a big answer in in exchange and that's how it, conspiracy theories get started and just sort of the one example he gave was John F Kennedy being assassinated mm-hmm. and people saying it couldn't just be one person this is a big deal it had to have been you know cuba and the communists and mm. the cia and lbj and all these people working in consort um whereas when ronald reagan was shot and then he was okay it was like huh there was a single guy who was a little cuckoo in the coconuts and he you know shot the president and now he's fine okay and there's no conspiracy theories about it so right. that's sort of uh yeah that's it's interesting that that's that you know we can all understand that that's a that's a human brain thing that's Mm -hmm. not a those people thing and i think when we start doing that it it makes everything easier this is a good time for us to turn to our two guests we have uh katie male who is a former anti-vaccine parent and she's also a doula and childbirth educator Mm -hmm. and we also have erica dewald who works with every child by two and has been really deeply involved in the vaccine issue and she is going to talk a little bit about her loved ones who are vaccine hesitant uh first we're going to turn to katie katie can you tell us a little bit about um how you came to the conclusion not to vaccinate your your children. Absolutely. So um, I had started, I was a young mom, and I did start vaccinating my son when he was born. But then um, when I started to meet new moms who had kids around the same age, it happened to be more of a crunchy granola group. And uh, they suggested that I look into vaccines and their safety and, and that there were a lot of risks associated with vaccinating and uh, a couple weeks later there was a local chiropractor who was giving a presentation about vaccines and she's very trust was very trusted in our community and so we went to, to hear her speak and um, it was really powerful the things that she said against vaccines uh, were very emotional and a few of the things the 
the thing I remember the most from that presentation, she said that when Japan, that Japan had started to delay all vaccines until the age of two, and when they did that, their SIDS rate dropped dramatically, um, and they like hardly any babies died of SIDS. And when you're a new parent, like SIDS is pushed down your throat a lot as a really big fear issue, and it is. I don't want to dismiss that, uh, and you know, it's the scariest thing that can happen. And so that one, I don't know why that one in particular really resonated with my husband and I, but it did. And so we, you know, read, this was in the earlier days of the internet, and we read a little bit more online, and it was all really scary stuff. And we were like, you know, there's, these diseases aren't really around anymore. We're, we're privileged, all, all of those things. And so we stopped uh, vaccinating. And that was, our son was one uh, when we did that. And then when our daughter was born, she didn't have any. Um, we even went to the extreme of she didn't have the vitamin K injection at birth, which I can't believe I did that, but uh, she didn't have the vitamin K injection and she didn't have erythromycin and it was like anything medical is bad, basically, was my perspective at the time. And um, and I felt that way across the board when it came to birth, when it came to pediatric medicine, th- things along those lines. It was like as little, little intervention, minimalist the, the whole nine yards. Um, we did go see a pediatrician and, and he was support, not supportive, but understanding and allowed us to continue to be in the practice. But, um, yeah. And then I want to say our daughter was five or six and somehow randomly, I think it had to do with one of my certification programs. Somehow I came across um, SIDS rates across the world. And I remembered that statistic. And I was like, oh, I came across vaccine, uh, the vaccines that are given across the world. And I came across Japan and found out that, no, they they do vaccinate just like we do. And that that's not what was linked to their low SIDS rate. And uh, that, that hit me and really started to make me question whether the other information that we had been told was accurate or not. And so then I I went back to the resources that we used to make that decision, and I I went to their sources cited, and I actually taught myself how to read research, and uh, I like randomly pulled three or four different quote studies that they claim to use, and pulled those studies and read the studies and discovered either the study didn't say anything at all what the the person had said it did uh or it was a horribly done study and it just it wasn't valid so that was when we were like okay maybe we made a bad decision here let's let's research vaccines again and overwhelmingly we were like of course of course we're gonna vaccinate um so we started vaccinating again and it took it took a little bit of time, but we got our kids fully caught up. Um, the other 
interesting thing that led to, to the decision. And it's fascinating to me because this is one of the more controversial vaccines. Um, as a doula, I see women in, in labor and I'm supporting them in labor. And I'd had several clients in a row who... Um, they weren't progressing in their labor because they had scar tissue from having a cone biopsy or a leap procedure or a colposcopy on their cervix from HPV. And it really affected their birth and really affected how they labored and the length of their labor. And it impacted their goals for their birth because labor was so much longer because that scar tissue is really hard to break up in labor um, or just really hard to break up so that the cervix will open and seeing I think I had like four or five clients in a row who I mean birth doesn't always go how we want it to and that's understandable but it was this exact issue four or five times in a row and it was like wait a minute we can prevent this um we women don't have to go through this so maybe we need to really reconsider that one too and um and so both my boy and my girl are vaccinated for hpv too we do them all now and i'm i also train doulas and really emphasize to them that they need to look at other perspectives on these issues because this tends to be a big issue in our community and a lot of people are not just they're just not given good information Right. So it sounds like when you were sort of vulnerable yeah. to this decision that you had a new baby that that you were worried about certainly SIDS, but just basically about the health and well being of your baby, that there was sort of a community of vaccine refusal around you. Does that seem accurate? Absolutely, yeah. I was definitely more in the attachment parenting community and um it, it was definitely like the thing to do. And I've, again, I was a very young mom and these were my new friends and I didn't want to like rock the boat in any way. So I was like, sure, yeah, I'll read up more about this. But it was all one-sided information and inaccurate. So after you went back and reviewed those studies and, and actually read the research and, and dug into it and realized that what you had been told wasn't completely accurate. Was there a community of people who were vaccinating or was were there any people you could turn to who helped you sort through that, who were supportive of you deciding to vaccinate or changing your mind about vaccines at all? No, uh, I lost my community um, because of that decision and, and a few other things that I came to realize that were not accurate. Uh, I decided that I wasn't going to be quiet about it and I'm truth is a really big thing for me and understanding the difference between fact and opinion and I wasn't quiet about it I was like you guys oh my gosh look at this information like all of these things that we had been told are not accurate and um they didn't want to hear what I had to say. Uh, so I, I actually lost my community and, and did, I mean, I did eventually make new mom friends, but I'm still, I still, I mean, we homeschool our kids, so it's definitely a big issue in the homeschooling community. And um, yeah, I still don't really resonate with, with those parents um, and kind of am, am a loner parent, which I'm okay with. 
Yeah, that's hard yeah. though. It, um, okay. Well, you know, I'm I'm really interested to hear if you're gonna have any insights into Erica's story. So, Erica, um, you you and I have talked very briefly about this, but you have you are very pro vaccine. You're one of the most pro vaccine people I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but you have people in your life who are maybe not so pro-vaccine and you had to sort of make different choices about that. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So as you know, I have been a big proponent and advocate of vaccines for a little over a decade now. Uh, and when I first learned about this issue and started getting involved in this issue, you sort of think, oh, I've got all the answers. I can, I can answer any concerns. I can change people's minds. And so I remember talking to my aunt and uncle who aren't anti-vaccine per se. It's more of an anti-established medicine approach, um, as I think we all deal with regularly. Um, and so, you know, I figured, let me, let me start a conversation with them. Let's see what sort of arguments they have against vaccines. And I'm going to convince them in, in this conversation. And what I quickly realized is, is these arguments don't follow the very nice set of talking points that a lot of organizations like my own Every Child by Two put together on these topics. It's not, well, I heard about Andrew Wakefield, and now I'm not going to get my child the MMR vaccine for the following one, two, three, four, five reasons. And I realized unless you come to the own realization, like Katie did, Katie saw that fact that didn't jive with what she had been told years ago and it made her re-question everything. I find it so difficult to convince somebody who is within that community and committed to that community to convince them to change their mind. It's really something that they have to find on their own. Um, and so I'd love to hear you know, fr from Katie or from others of, how maybe you can lead people down that path. Um, you know, luckily my aunt and uncle are very much in the place. Their daughter's in college. Uh, my cousin's much younger than me. She's in college right now. And so it's not as pertinent, although the HPV issue has of course come up. But I look at somebody like my husband's cousin who is also opposed to vaccination. And uh, he has a soon-to-be one-year-old. Um, you know, I, I lucked out a little bit in that situation that they decided to get him the vaccines that he will one day need for school. Uh, his mother is a teacher and she has an appreciation for vaccines, but uh, that's more of a libertarian argument there as opposed to a science argument, but would really love to hear how you can convince someone who's within this community. Katie, it sounds like you tried. I did. I tried really hard. I. I have a different approach now um, because a lot of my clients who are coming to me during their pregnancy have a lot of questions about vaccines and a lot of concerns and things along those lines. The, the approach that I've taken is simply sitting and listening and not trying to convince them of anything, but just listen and validate their fears and then listen some more and, and validate. And then once they feel heard, and respected and like that their feelings on this topic are are respected they seem to be more receptive to hearing other other things um more different information than what they've been told and um that that's been the thing that i have found that works the best um and will continue to do 
and it's just it's hard it's hard to sit I mean I sometimes will be with the client for several a couple of hours prenatally um, or even we do postpartum care so even sitting with them after they've had the baby and they're really questioning or their baby their baby got shots that day and so they're really tired and lethargic and being able to explain to them no your baby's your baby's immune system is doing what it, it's meant to do it's it's getting used to these different things and so of course your baby's a little bit sleepy just that's normal and that's okay and helping them to understand uh, what is normal after a vaccine and that things necessarily aren't scary and helping them to understand that fevers are normal and fevers happen and that they don't they don't need to be a, a scary thing so being with them for literally hours, sometimes even a whole 24 hours after their baby has been vaccinated and helping them to know like, nope, this is normal. This is what we would expect to see. It's all good. Let's go ahead. Yeah, let's go ahead and wake the baby and feed the baby. And look, your baby wakes up just fine. Everything's good. Um, that, that seems to work to calm some of their fears in my experience. I think that's so great to hear, um, to hear people that uh, do different aspects of baby care talking about vaccines and, and being pro-vaccine being and working, helping the parent through that because everybody expects the pediatrician to say it. Like, it's almost like a cliche. Oh, the pediatrician's going to say it's normal. We don't always say it's normal. We're pretty, you know, we we want to make sure that our babies are taken care of. So if there's a little baby who's having issues, we want to make sure that, that we don't we don't allow anything bad to happen. Uh, we're all as pediatricians very nervous about things happening to babies. Um, but to hear, you know, yes, people that are coming at the the that aren't pediatricians, but do take care of different aspects of baby, of, of newborn care, of baby care, whether it's doula or, or lactation specialist or uh, any number of different um, careers uh, to, to say these things, I think is very, very helpful as a, as a consistent message. I want to be clear. Like if something is not normal, we do tell them to call their pediatrician just to be clear. Oh, definitely. Yes, I'm sure. (laughs) Did not mean to give the impression otherwise. Do you feel like, uh, I, I don't know if you mentioned this at all before, but do you feel like among your uh, other doulas that you talk to or in other uh, areas of, of baby care that you have the same kind of sentiment or is that kind of a, a kind of more of a discussion that you have to have and make your case or how does that go? Yeah, I'm... Uh I'm a little bit different among doulas, I think, in that um, most are more on the anti-vaccine side, or uh, ideally a good doula is non-judgmental, so we're providing non-judgmental support and giving ideally unbiased information about topics. There's no such thing as unbiased information when it comes to vaccines. Um, Sure. And so I have found my approach to this topic to be very transparent and to say, whether I'm training doulas or I'm working with clients, to say, listen, here's where I was, here's where I am now. I'm happy to answer any questions that you have about this and, and give you some more information, but just know that I'm not going to judge you for your choices and what you do for your family and your baby. And, you know, I have a bias when it comes to this issue. And I think people really respect my transparency on that. And it's been 
it's been interesting at trainings that I've led where there have been a large portion of, of doulas who are themselves personally anti-vax and the conversations that we have and, and the topics that we're able to unpack and I'm able to, to sure. share information with them that they didn't realize. I think that transparency is very important and I imagine that it, people respect you for giving, I mean, that whole telling that story is very important. I tell the story when I give a class uh, to expectant families, um, I always start by kind of telling my story. I want everybody to know where I've, where I've been, where, how I came to, you know, talk about vaccines in this very classroom, why I'm doing it. Um, so, because like you said, there is no unbiased person <laughs> when it comes to medical issues like this. And I think everybody should know kind of, and, and I think to hear that story has got to be a very powerful thing. So thank you for sharing that here and sharing it to the world at my large. My pleasure. Thank you. But one of the things that we were talking about early on was we don't really know like how we specifically talk to people to change their minds. We do know that it's a very difficult and complicated situation uh, for anybody. Uh, so I think that there is definitely... Um, there, there are some things in the literature, right? Sometimes you hear a study that'll say, you know, if parents know about the, if they hear about the bad effects of the disease, this turns the needle a little, moves the needle a little bit. Uh, or if they hear this approach, this turns the needle, moves the needle a little bit. But we don't really know. Everybody's different. And so I like the approach of listening. I really think that as some, you know, again, we're talking about people that we know. We're not just talking about convincing random stranger. We're talking about trying to talk to people that we know and if we're not willing to listen to people that we know and hear them out there is very little reason that they're going to want to hear what we have to say on any given topic i if thank you i have found that there are four basic types of people like people who either want to be very much in control and they like you're not going to change their minds because they're set in their opinion and they're like me. They have to come across it on their own before they'll change their opinion. There are people who make this decision because it's kind of the trendy thing to do. Is I don't like saying that, and I feel that that's more accurate, that it's kind of the trendy thing to do. And if the other people in their peer group, if that's what they're doing, they're worried about being judged. So addressing it from the angle with them of this is your baby and it doesn't matter what other people think about the choices that you're making what really truly feels right to you and your gut for your baby not not based on how you think you will be perceived by others and then the third type are people who are really worried about safety and if they have a close friend or family member who believes that they had a vaccine injury or who is generally anti-vaccine they're going to have a lot more fears and concerns and they just tend to approach things from that more kind of fear or worry perspective and so for those people again really listening and validating and um, helping them to understand just you know, correlation doesn't equal causation, stuff like that. And and I found the fourth group, it's not usually an issue because they are researchers themselves and um, they will research both sides very thoroughly and usually come to the conclusion of, well, of course we're going to vaccinate. 
I love the listening first. Actually, that's um, our toolkit, which I'm going to mention at the end. That's the first piece of advice we give is you really have to listen. Uh, but I'm wondering with Erica, um, you know, one thing I think that we don't communicate very well is why we're trying to change minds. And so, you know, Erica, if you were, if you wanted your relatives to understand where you're coming from, what would you want them to know first and foremost about why you want them to have a different thought, a different view of vaccines? Well, you know, I think it really does depend on your relationship to the relative and where they are in life. So for example, with my aunt and uncle, at the end of the day, if they choose not to get the flu vaccine, that's probably going to impact them a little bit more than it's going to impact those around them. Both are retired, stay at home. Um, it's, it, they're not exposing as many people as say a healthcare worker. But for someone like my husband's cousin who has the baby, you know, I have a vested interest in wanting to protect I am just genuinely curious why you have concerns about vaccines. And so then as he was able to step me through the various concerns that he had, yes, I, I, I put a comment or two in there certainly about, oh, okay, well, did you think about this? Or did you look at this maybe? Now, I don't know that he walked away convinced, but I at least walked away knowing that I said my piece, I helped him understand, particularly where they live. They live in um, a, a, a tourist rich city in, in the United States that there were a lot of exposures that that child was, was going to have outside of just his daycare, but just living in the city in which he lived. And hopefully, I would hope, I don't know if, if this was true, but put a little bit of a seed in his mind of, this is a decision that has real consequences. And so instead of just going to the usual chat rooms, going to, you know, my aunt and uncle's case, Mercola.com, to really do some thorough research around this because this isn't a hypothetical risk. Um, and this isn't just a, a, a difference of opinion. This is a difference of opinion that could have real life impacts. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, one of the things um, that when we have someone we love, that that understanding that we're coming from a place of caring is really, really key. And I'm, I'm wondering, Katie, if you had had that person in your life from the get go, do you think you still would have fallen into that trap? Hmm. Um. I, it's it's so hard to say. Um, they would have had to have been someone that had great influence on me that I saw regularly, you know, more so than, than this group of friends, because those were the people who were supporting me and being a new parent. So it, it for me, it, it couldn't have been like my mother or, or a sister unless we were incredibly close and I already relied on them for support. Um, for me, it, it took coming across the information on my own and and that's just that's my personality style like I I'm not gonna believe you just because although I'm much more that way now than I was then partially because of this issue <laughs> but um yeah I mean I'm sure if I had fallen in with a different group of moms then I still would have vaccinated but um that's just how it went 
And, you know, and it's funny, Katie, I don't think for a minute that I, I would have convinced you. I, I, I don't think someone like me would have convinced you. And I, I don't know that I was, was or will ever be particularly helpful in convincing the folks within my own family that vaccination is the right choice. Um, and so I guess, you know, the only reason why I continue to do it besides, you know, being that loudmouth New Jerseyan that I am <laughs> is because my hope is that maybe one day they'll have enough of these little pieces, they'll see enough little things, or maybe they'll see that fact that you saw that, that, that creates some sort of cognitive dissonance in their mind and they'll think back to, well, what was that Erica was telling me about, you know, voices for vaccines or about the CDC fact? And maybe that'll trigger something, but yeah, it, it is a little frustrating in the moment because I don't think I would have convinced you. You know, and there is actually literature, there's some research to back that up because one of the studies that had come out in the last uh, few years was one looking at social networks and vaccination decisions. And it does show that basically people who decide not to vaccinate are kind of surrounded by people who also choose not to vaccinate. And those who choose to vaccinate are surrounded, unsurprisingly, by people who vaccinate. And so we don't create, what we want is to create that social networking around, uh, to, to expand that social network. Um, so that there are more pro-vaccine voices um, reaching people that are making those decisions. And we don't, we can't do that unless we speak up about it and unless we post from time to time or we bring it up in conversation or at least when it comes up in conversation, we're willing to at least add our opinion uh, and put it out there. Uh, and so that is the reason that I think we all need to keep doing it. We don't have to be, we don't have to know everything about immunizations. We don't have to be able to debunk every myth and in fact there's a lot of literature that suggests that debunking myths as much fun as it is i think everybody here on this podcast loves debunking myths like it's great fun how productive is it maybe not always the most productive thing but providing good information and making that having the the social network the connections that we have having those people see that good information is coming from somebody that they know and presumably trust that over time can make that difference can i add something mm. one one thing nathan you mentioned that like you have a a new parents class or something along those lines we we have a support yeah. group that it's it's an all mom support group. So, or all parents. And we mm -hmm. make it very clear in our marketing for that, like that people doing things different ways just means that they're doing it differently. It doesn't mean that you are doing it wrong. So come and right. get some support and, you know, for regardless of, of your parenting choices. So we get a big mixed crowd sure. and it's great because yeah. it, it's providing exactly what you were just saying we we need. You know, there are people there who don't vax who hear the perspective of some vaxxers. We have an immunologist in the group. Um, we have someone who hmm. um, used to... Um, she was a biologist and she used to actually work on creating vaccines and it's really neat because they're getting to know each other on an emotional level and um sure and it, it's neat to see these conversations where no one feels threatened no one feels judged yeah. and i think for so many people that's what it comes down to i think personalizing that is important because it's so easy to say this or that about doctors or about big pharma, but then to actually talk to somebody who values immunizing and has their story and their reason, that that's a big difference in somebody's mind. This isn't just big pharma. This is 
somebody that I quite like talking to who has worked with a vaccine company. And this is not, you know, the devil incarnate. This is somebody who really does have a heart for kids or for healthcare or for whatnot. Um, that, that, that's huge. I think that sounds like a great experience. Well, and if I can in general, you know, one thing that I always keep in mind and I always tell others to keep in mind is nobody's choosing not to vaccinate their child because they dislike their child. Everyone's doing this because they want to do the best for their child with the beliefs and the evidence that they have at their fingertips. Um, and I'm sure you guys talk about this all the time, but it's so important to remember that um, because again, people don't want to be judged. People don't want to be demonized on either side of this. We all want to do what's right for our kids. And that's what these, what these parents who don't vaccinate their children are doing, just like the parents who vaccinate. So Katie and Erica, I just want to thank you so very much for sharing your stories today. And we like to end with a call to action. So I want to ask our listeners, if you have someone you love in your life who is afraid of vaccines or isn't vaccinating their children and you want to talk to them, please try to start that conversation the way that Katie very sagely advised, which is to listen. Um, we have actually a toolkit about talking to vaccine-hesitant loved ones on our tools page. So go to voicesforvaccines.org slash tools, and you'll see the, uh, our vac- what we, I call the vaccine hesitancy toolkit. It's one of the very first ones. And go ahead and download that and read it if you're interested in more about this topic. So again, Katie and Erica, thank you. And um, thank you, everybody, for joining us and for listening to our podcast. Make sure you subscribe. If you're in the Bethesda area, mm-hmm. make sure you make the vaccinology course. Or if you're not in the Bethesda area, it certainly is worth your while to travel there. <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Karen Ernst, and I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. And you are a vaccine awesomeologist as am i nathan boomstra i'm a i'm a general pediatrician uh here in iowa find me on you can find me on facebook or on my twitter handle which is uh at pedsgeekmd or my blog pedsgeekmd.com you know we keep coining terms first we've got vaxplaining which i've seen being used in the wild now yeah and now a vaccine awesomeologist so we're gonna see if we can get that one we're gonna need like our own version of the urban dictionary we are All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, Tune in next time when we're live. Bye-bye. Bye.
Thank you.